The door is locked, dead bolted. Maybe even a chair under the doorknob. Inside sit, sit ten knee-knocking itinerants who are straddled the fence between faith and fear. As you look around the room, you wouldn't take them for a bunch who are about to take the kettle of history and put it on high boil. Uneducated, confused, calloused hands, heavy accents, few social graces, limited knowledge of the world, no money, undefined leadership, and on and on and on. No, as you look at this motley crew, you wouldn't wager too many paychecks on their future. But something happens to a man when he witnesses someone who has risen from the dead. Something stirs within the soul of a man who stood within inches of the risen Christ. It all started with ten stammering, stuttering men. Though the door was locked, he stood in their midst and said, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And send them he did, ports, courtyards, boats, synagogues, prisons, palaces. They went everywhere. The message of the Nazarene dominoed across the civilized world. They were in infectious fever. They refused to be stopped. Uneducated drifters who shook history like a housewife shakes a rug. My, wouldn't it be great to see that happen again? Many say it's impossible. The world is too hard, too secular, too post-Christian. This is the age of information, not regeneration. So we deadbolt the door in fear of the world. And as a result, the world goes largely untouched and untaught. Over half of the world has yet to hear the story of the Messiah, much less study it. What would it take to light the fire again? Somehow, those fellows in the upper room, they did it. They did it without dragging their feet or making excuses. For them, it was rather obvious. All I know is that he was dead and he is alive. Something happens to a man when he stands within inches of the Judean line. Something happens when he hears the roar. Something happens when he gets close enough that he can feel the lion's breath. Maybe we can all use a return visit. Maybe we all need to witness His Majesty inside His victory. Maybe we need to hear our own commission again. Will you tell them Jesus' challenge? Will you tell them that I came back and that I'm coming back again? We will. They nodded and they did. Will you? You see, when Jesus encounters these disciples in that upper room that evening, they have been playing a game that became popular during the 1980s in our country called Trivial Pursuit. Oh, it wasn't the board game Trivial Pursuit, it was the, the life game Trivial Pursuit. What does it mean for something to be trivial? It simply means for it to be insignificant or unimportant. And as we watch the disciples before this time, they're arguing about who's the greatest. They're angry about people who reject Jesus. They're vying for positions of prominence in the kingdom. One of them is more after money than he is about following Jesus. And they all prove they're more after their own safety than standing with Jesus at the cross. They're playing trivial pursuit. And it's not until this moment that everything begins to change in their life. Because let's be honest this morning, many of us are playing trivial pursuit. Our life is more about the unimportant and insignificant than it is about the eternal. We celebrate greater at the last second shot that wins our team the game than we do at the rebirth of someone. 
We put more emphasis on our life about things that really won't count a hundred years from now than the things that will be eternal. And, and we begin to pursue the trivial. It even begins to dominate our news. Have you noticed, you know, how the news is more and more dominated, not by the core issues of our day, but by celebrities and stars. I was working out this week over the Y and trying to make conversation with a guy that was on a machine beside me, and I, I just sort of happened to ask him what he thought about all the Monte controversy and uh, the controversy around Lance Armstrong. And his response was almost abrasive. He said, you know, all that is is a diversion. I and mean, we've got terrorists in the world, we've got an economy falling apart, we've got this and this and this, and you turn on the news and you've got that. And I said, I'm sorry I asked you. <laughs> and then I went and benched my 350 pounds. <laughs> well, I, I'm telling you guys, there are so many diversions in the world as to what to, even in church. We come to church and often we talk more about the trivial things than we do about the important things. In our own fellowship, you know, whether you go to the right wing end and we're constantly talking about issues and things that aren't really big time, or you go to the left wing end and we still talk about issues and things that aren't big time, if, if we're not careful, we're pursuing the trivial and not the most important. What I challenge you to do is to open your New Testament, read it through, asking this question, what were the big deals? What did the church emphasize? What did they get upset about? And what are the things they really didn't even talk about? And we'll begin to pursue the things that are important. You see, as Max Licato said in that reading, we need a return visit to the upper room. So I invite you this morning, if you have your Bibles, to go to John chapter 19. And look at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Can you imagine? Look at their reaction. Verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Wouldn't you be overjoyed? I mean, you think he's been executed, and he had. He's dead, and he had been. But now he's alive. And Jesus comes to them. He pursues them to this room. He all of a sudden appears in the midst and when they see him and they see the marks of his crucifixion, they are overjoyed. Again, verse 21, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Listen, that is John's rendition of the Great Commission. What's Jesus say? You know what, guys? I came here on a mission, Luke 19.10. I've come to seek and save the lost. I was sent by my Father. I had a purpose in my life. Here's what I want you disciples to know. Stop playing trivial pursuit. As the Father sent me, now I am sending you. What a great challenge. Listen, my friends, we serve a missionary God. That's the word missionary. It means someone sent. We have a, a God who was sent to this earth and he calls his disciples to be a missionary people, a sent people. And guys, that's true whether you're going, you know, to Turkey with our brother we just saw or whether you are going to work tomorrow or going to your school. You are meant to be one sent to that place just as Jesus was sent to this earth. And then we get to some unusual verses. Verse 22, 
And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What an odd scene. John's the only gospel who tells us this. Jesus breathes on them. And they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it reminds us of some other verses in Scripture. In the creation scene, God breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living scene. A living scene, excuse me. A living being, a living soul. And just as in the creation scene, God's breath brings life. Let me tell you, the breath of God in the Holy Spirit is what brings life to us. He breathes it on them. And then... Really sort of hard words to interpret. Verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, does this, this sounds at surface that God is giving men the ability to forgive sins or not forgive sins. But we know clearly from the Gospels that only God can forgive sins. So what is he saying to these people? He's not saying they have the power to forgive sins. What he's saying is, as you go out as you're sent, you have the power to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And listen, Jesus says, as you proclaim it, this message will divide. I mean, as you begin to proclaim the good news, as you're sent on a mission, people will either receive it and accept the forgiveness of sins, or they will reject it and never be forgiven. So it's an incredible message. So, let's think about this. Here's the end of Trivial Pursuit. Let me give you some points if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus pursued them. That's what I love about it. He comes after them. And if ever you'd want to call a time out in the Gospels and say, Jesus, give up on these dudes. They won't stand beside you at your trial. They deny you. One of them has betrayed you. And now you've told them through the angel to go to Galilee and they're stuck in Jerusalem in some room scared to death. Why don't you give up on these guys, Jesus? I mean, they don't seem to be able to get it together. I mean, go, go. I mean, you've resurrected now. Why don't you go start over with a new group? But no, Jesus pursues them. He goes after them. And not only does he pursue them, he reassures them. Twice in our passage, Jesus says, peace be with you. That's not just some trite kind of line, but it literally means is, may every good thing God wants for you be true in your life. I want you to have that kind of peace. I know you've blown it. I know you haven't been everything you ought to be. But here's what I want you guys to know. I'm still with you, and I'll give you peace. And then Jesus sent them. This missionary God sends them out as a missionary people. Literally, they are to become the body of Christ. Someone always asks, well, well what, what, what should the church be doing? You know, some of you are asking Landmark 101, what is, what, is, what is Landmark all about? Let me tell you what we better be about. Is we better do whatever Jesus would do if he were here. That's what the church is about. It's about carrying on the mission of Jesus, being sent by him. And then, last point here, Jesus empowered them. Listen, God never asks you and I to do anything that He doesn't give you the power to do it. How does He empower us? Through the Holy Spirit. 
What's that say? When you're sent to your workplace, you're not going alone. God's with you. When you're sent to your school, you're not alone there. The Holy Spirit's there in you. When you're in your neighborhood trying to represent Christ, or you're in a long line at the grocery store, and someone's getting on your nerves, God is there with you to give you the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're trying to overcome the sin in your life, I love it. I was sitting in a a small group Bible study the other night with a bunch of college guys and there was one guy in there and he talked about how, you know, he'd grown up in a Christian home but he just could not overcome sin. He just kept falling into the same sin over and over again. And and finally, one of the guys in the group said, well, let me ask you something. Uh, Have you ever been baptized? And and the guy said, no, I've never been baptized. And uh, the guy then says to him, well, no wonder you can't overcome sin. You don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Because that's one of the promises that happen when you're baptized. You receive the forgiveness of your sins. You receive the Holy Spirit. And the guy was right on. How are we going to be able to have the power to live this out if, unless we have the power of God within us? And so Jesus empowered them. Now here, here's what I want you to see this morning. We can become partners in the pursuit of people. I love this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As God's partners... Maybe you've been a partner with somebody in sports or partner with someone in business or in education and you were just honored that your name was on the list. Let me give you a big honor this morning. Your name is there with God as partners in the pursuit of people. You are partners in telling the good news of Jesus Christ. So today I want to get sort of practical about how we do that. Let me, let me say this. I, I want to thank you for letting me get so fired up last Sunday. And I want to thank you for your response. I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon where I got more positive response than last Sunday. And what it tells me is that deep within us, guys, there is a desire to get beyond the trivial. That with all going on in our life, what we really, really, really want is we want our life to be about something that's significant, not insignificant. And thank you for getting so fired up about that and communicating it all week long. But this week, I want to to, to allow the rubber to meet the road. This week, I want to talk about what's it going to take. It's one thing for us to all get excited about it. It's one thing for me to scream and holler and rant and rave. It's another thing for us to actually join God as in partners of pursuit of people. What's it going to take? Now, I remind you from last week's lesson that Jesus' most pointed and offensive sermons and stories were not directed at lost people, but at saved people who didn't care about lost people. You understand that? Jesus was most pointed and most offensive of people like you and I who somehow come to church every Sunday, try to do the right things, but somehow we're not caring about being partners in the pursuit of people. So today, let's get really practical. Let's use this acrostic of the word partner. And let's write down some things of how we become partners. First of all, we become partners through prayer. Prayer is the key. That's the way you enter the partnership. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, here's the way you ought to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a great prayer. It's a partnership prayer. Because when you pray that prayer, you say, Lord, whatever you really want to have happen, whatever's your business in heaven, we want it to be our business on this earth. When you pray that prayer, you have offered yourself as a partner of God. And so you begin to pray those things. 
And guys, when we look through the book of Acts, when the church was exploding, almost parallel, for every time you see the church growing and reaching people, you'll also see the church praying. I'm telling you guys, a praying church will be a church that reaches people. And a praying person will be that partner. I heard Mark Loudermilk say this week as we were discussing some of these things, I have never in my life been praying for God to bring lost people into my life where he wasn't faithful to do it. I can say the same thing. Now, there's been lots of points in my life where my prayers were so selfish, so about me, that I wasn't praying for that one more so. I wasn't praying for that person. And that person wasn't in my life. But I'm going to tell you, if you will just begin to pray, sometimes we think we got to manipulate it. we got to make it happen. I'm telling you, you don't. I'm saying you just ask God to put someone in your path that you can be kind to in the name of Jesus, that you can minister to, that you can share with, and He will do it. Julie Johnston sent me this quotation this week from Charles Spurgeon. Pretty heavy. Let, 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 me, let me read this to you. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Start praying about it, guys. Don't think it's your job. It's your job with God, your partners. And the second, it can take a new mindset. All right? You, you need to pray about it, but then you're also going to have to change your mind. And it can take understanding this partnership you've got with God. And it can change the way you walk back into your office tomorrow morning. It can change the way you go to the grocery store this afternoon. It can change what you do when you see your neighbor out pushing their trash to the street. Why? Because you're on, a, you're on a mission. And you have a new mindset. You don't just run in and out of the store just to get your stuff. You recognize that everybody you encounter is a soul that will one day either spend eternity in heaven or hell. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, For now on, since we've met Jesus, we regard no man from a worldly point of view. You don't look at someone just like, oh, well, there, you know, there's the trash guy, there's the uh, grocery clerk, um, there's the um, guy that gets on my nerves at work, you know, there's the, the, the kid at school, you know, who's the dork. No, 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 no. You, you, you don't look at it that way. You don't look at that because you're looking through different eyes. You have a different mindset everywhere you go is we're sent out on that mission. Let me ask you this morning, do you have that kind of mindset? I know in my life there are moments where I've had it, there are moments when I haven't had it. I want it. Now, after last week's sermon, I got a text from a young married guy, and he was really convicted about the sermon. And uh, he had had an encounter with somebody at the Y, and, and then he texted me this, this. Here's what he said. You and that lesson are killing me. He capitalizes the word killing. I went out of my way to speak to God at the Y that I knew from college and despised. Get out of my head. I texted him back. No way. You're starting to act like Jesus. Listen to me, guys. We got to get this in our head. This has got to be, it's got to affect the way you go to a ball game. When you see thousands of people, it's got to affect what you think when you're in the grocery store. It's got to affect the way you look at people. It's got to be a new mindset. If we don't get that mindset, guys, we're going to, it's got to affect what you do when you come to church. You're not here just for you and to get in and out of here as quick as you can. You're here because you want to get here early and greet some people. You want to be here afterwards to minister to people. I'm telling you, to find lost people, you don't have to go anywhere in this town further than these walls. But what's your mindset? That's to change. 
Number three, you're going to have to rearrange your schedule. We all say we're too busy. But the truth is, we are busy, but we're, most of us are really busy with the trivial. I mean, how many times a day do I have to watch Sports Center? It's the same thing hour after hour after hour. How many sitcoms do I have to watch? How many times do I have to watch CNN? How many times do I have to watch the same thing over and over again? Let me tell you, I think if all of us would look at our schedule, we would see that, you know what, we got more time than we think. Yeah, we're busy, but most of us are really busy about trivial things. Some of us are too busy with our jobs to reach someone for Christ. We're obsessed with it. We're obsessed with success or obsessed with money or you name it. Listen, it's going to take a time that not only do you have the mindset, but you begin to say, you know what? I'm going to slow down. When I go to the grocery store, I'd like to get in a conversation with somebody. When I'm at the gym, I'm going to ask the guy a question. He might sort of get, get me, but I'm going to ask him the question, you know. I'm going to try to get to know people. I'm going to be praying on my lips while I walk in that place. Lord, lead me to somebody that I could bless today in your name. And then you're going to rearrange your schedule a little bit. I say to our small group leaders, when we train them, if you would give 30 minutes a week to make phone calls, text messages, Facebook messages, write some notes, if you'd give 30 minutes a week to do that, you would be an exceptional life group leader. Because some of us are so busy doing things that really don't matter. But we need to be calling and listening and caring and serving and writing Checking on people. Because you know what it means to someone that you encounter them one day and they're having a tough day and you remember it four days later and you call them and say, I just want to check on you. Because we have so many ways now to communicate with people. Are we just using it to spread trivia? Or we can use it to spread the gospel. So we begin to rearrange our schedule. And then there's got to be Transparency. There's got to be that transparency. Guys, listen, guys. Nobody expects you to be perfect. Sometimes we say, well, I'd really like to start sharing my faith, but first I need to get my life completely together. Well, the truth is, nobody in here has got their life completely together. Who are they going to listen to? They're going to listen to someone who's real and honest about their own faults and flaws, but who's trying by the power of the Holy Spirit to change. You see, guys, it's the changed life that changes people. Young man baptized this past week named Hayden. Plays baseball at AUM. Met a guy that was baptized about a month ago named Chad Mansman. Isn't that the greatest name for a man? Either the greatest or the worst. But Chad Mansman, all right? And, and you know what he told me? He said, before Chad ever spoke a word to me, I could tell he was way different. I've played baseball with this guy before. And I got on the team this spring, and it was way, way different. You see... Chad's not perfect, but Chad's changing. Then let me give you another word. It's a key word. The key word is net fishing. Well, what does that mean? Is that you don't have to be a lone ranger Christian out there trying to reach somebody by yourself. I used to think I got to meet them. I got to set a Bible study up with them. I got to disciple them. I got to have them over my house. Guys, no, nobody can do everything. Some of you guys, because you don't work at a church, you're much better than I am about meeting people. You can invite them. Maybe somebody else, you know, can greet them when they walk in these doors. Someone else can have them over to lunch. Someone else can invite them to their small group. Someone else can sit down and study the Bible with them. You see, what begins to happen is it's a, it's a whole group of people. You see, when Jesus said, I want you to be fishers of men, he didn't visualize one dude out on a creek bank with his Zebco reel and rod. 
What did they visualize? A net and a bunch of people around it working together. Guys, that's why we jump up and down in this church about you being in a small group. Because we want you to be in a place where you can do it together. Let me tell you about this guy, Hayden, who was baptized this past Thursday night. Yeah, he, he, he saw Chad and saw how different he was. Chad invited him a week ago on Thursday night to the college Bible study. He came that night. He began to encounter some other guys that were serious about the Lord and sharing. By the next Thursday night, last Thursday night, Hayden saying, I'm ready to become a Christian. You know who studied the Bible with him? Wasn't Chad. Chad's not quite up to that right now. It was Heath Woodruff. You know some of the folks who befriended him? Other folks. God's just working together. And guys, let me tell you, that takes a lot of pressure off us when it comes to sharing our faith. When you understand you don't have to do everything, but it's all of us working together with the different gifts and abilities that God has given us to reach someone for Jesus. And then let me give another word here. Enthusiasm. Guys, we've got to be fired up about sharing the good news. Because if you're not excited about Christ, they won't listen. When you invite your friend to church... I mean, I've heard people... Yeah, we'd, I'd really love you to come to church with me... Um, you know, we're sort of bored down there, and I'm not very exciting. We feel sort of guilty most of the time, but um, we're not going to hell. Would you like to come? <laughs> I mean, guys, some of us invite people to church like we're inviting them to a Tupperware party. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Maybe you made a lot of money off Tupperware, but I can't imagine that being a party. <laughs> oh, did your lid... Fit tighter than my lid? I mean, what do you do at a Tupperware party? Give me a break. Guys, and we, when we begin to reach out to people for Christ, they've got to hear the enthusiasm in us. Now, now, here's the truth, guys. We know how to be enthusiastic. We do it about other things in life. The question is, are we going to get fired up about the good news of Jesus? Speaking of people becoming Christians, I saw just a few moments ago, Travis Hardy. Where is my boy Travis? Travis, would you stand up right there? Travis was baptized into Christ this past week. Travis runs, uh, let me give you a little advertisement here, Travis. He runs CrossFit Gym over across the Northern Bypass. And I mean, I've noticed sort of a cult following here in this church. I mean, there are so many people who go to that gym. And, and Travis obviously does a good job. When Nathan Capps met him there, I mean, talking to him, he came to church about two weeks ago. And after church, almost unprompted, he said, Nathan, I, I want to be baptized. Then last Sunday, he was after 1030 service. Now, there's another guy that goes to CrossFit with him that was... Uh, uh, just became a Christian not too long ago himself. Uh, was baptized by his fa- future father-in-law, Gary Chad Stinson. And I was looking on Facebook this week, and, and, and listen to what Chad wrote. Talk about enthusiasm. Listen to what he wrote. He writes, in CrossFit, we check our workout website numerous times a night to see when the workout is posted and what it is. We want to prepare our body for the war. I check it nonstop and even obsess over it at times. And it hit me today. Why am I exerting this much excitement, energy, and time? Why am I not exerting this much time, energy, and time on my relationship with God? And then he writes later, Will we go out on our way to help others in need, to bring others to Christ? I've accepted this challenge and hope that others will follow as I do my part. 
As much time and energy as I put into becoming a better athlete, I want to double that when becoming a better Christian example. Praise God for that. Can we have some applause for that? Listen, we're not telling him not to go be fired up about CrossFit. What we're saying is, why don't you take the energy you give to something already and transfer that energy to something significant? Why don't you move the energy from just trivial pursuit to something that's eternal? And guys, the only thing eternal around you are the people around you. That's how you invest in, invest in the eternal. So we've got to have that enthusiasm, that fire. Chad, God bless you, man. And then one more thing here. We're going to have to have the resources. Let me just go ahead and be upfront with you. It costs money. It's a church. You give weekly to this church. And why do you give? Not just so we have a church, but so we can reach more people for Christ. You don't give just to pay some of our salaries and pay the light bills, you know, and you know, pay for benevolence. I mean, we give all of that so that, that we'll have time to reach out in the name of Jesus. Our Birmingham church is really thriving, especially among children. And uh, recently we've been blessed uh, because of their giving to be able to hire someone part-time to work with children. Her name is Glenda Kennedy. Glenda's worked for lots of different churches. And um, this past week, she actually came to Montgomery on Tuesday for our staff meeting. We had just one of our normal staff meetings, but it was great. But afterwards, she kept commenting to people. She said, I've been on lots of church staffs. I've been to lots of church staff meetings. But I've never seen people so focused on the guests, so focused on reaching the lost people, so focused in praying so much. You know, we just sort of took that for granted. But I want to tell you, as a church, and what you're giving, it's allowing many of us to have the focus all day long on where it needs to be. And I, I encourage you to give generously. And then next Sundays, we give to missions. Man, now two Sundays from now. Let me ask you, have you thought about it yet? Are you laying aside some money? Some say, well, why do we got to give to foreign missions? Why don't we just do it right here? Let me tell you a couple of things. Number one, we'll find this out next week. Because Jesus commanded us to go in all the world. Is that good enough? All right. He commanded us to go. He didn't tell us just to go to America. He commanded us to go in all the world. Number two, there are some people outside of America who, quite frankly, are more open to the gospel than Americans are. You go to China, you go to Tanzania, and boy, you, you can set up a tent in the middle of nowhere in Tanzania and have a crowd and have a lot of folks come to Christ. Ask our folks over there. You go to China and those students are hungry. Sometimes in America, we're oblivious. And third, we want to go in some areas strategically like Turkey where no, it's not so easy, but we want to make a beachhead in the middle of the Muslim world to begin to change this world. That's why you want to give generously three weeks from now. That's not just going to give to foreign missions that Sunday. A lot of our local missions like the Shed and other outreaches here in town. But you want to give generously because we're going to have to have the resources. And here's the cool thing is we have the resources. Among Christian people in America, we have the resources. We can reach this world. We just got to give. So let me ask you this question as we conclude today. Are you afraid to stop playing trivial pursuit? That, that, that's what I see in people. Whether I'm talking to a young man who's mixed in the middle of getting drunk and partying, or I talk to one of us, you know, who's more intent on getting out and shopping, you know, and accumulating more possessions or making more money. It seems to me there's a fear in all of us that if I really gave these things up, what would I do with my life? If I stopped going out and partying every weekend, what would I do on my weekends? That's what the college kids ask me. 
So we don't ask this, you know. But if I really start cutting back on work a little bit, and I really started spending my time not watching ESPN over and over again, and if I really, what would I do with myself? I'd just sort of, I'd probably just sit there bored. Listen to me. You, if you will catch this mission, you will be less bored than you've ever been in your life. If you're out there struggling with partying, you'll have more joy in your life than you ever had with alcohol. If you're right now pursuing things, let me tell you, that is such a temporary high. If you would pursue people, that's eternal high. Because we're afraid of the wrong thing. Don't be afraid of deciding to rearrange your schedule, to change your mindset, to give your resources, to give yourself, to being a part of something that's bigger than you. We need to go back to that room again. We need to hear Jesus speak these words. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You say, buddy, that's, those two sentences almost don't match with me. Peace be with you and get out there on a mission. You see, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid of the mission. I'm afraid if I really decided to give myself to the mission of God, maybe I'd be bored or maybe I'd be ineffective or maybe my friends would reject me. Let, let me tell you guys, those two sentences belong together because here's the truth. You are never going to have true peace into your life until you have become partners with God in the pursuit of people. Why? Because everything else, at the end of the day, it's... The party wears off. At the end of the day, the purchase gets old. At the end of the day, the promotion, it's okay. At the end of the day, I mean, all these trivial things. At the end of life, what you're going to have to do is go find something else. Because it's going to get boring. But let me tell you, when your life begins to be about people and reaching people for Jesus, that's when you're going to have peace. I was watching this interview with them. somebody sort of purported as a life coach. It was a, about Lance Armstrong and the debacle around him. And they were scrutinizing his interview with Oprah and the things he had said. And, and, the, and the person interviewing the life coach said, well, what would he need to do? And, and, and here were the words she used. It was almost spiritual. She said, if Lance Armstrong wants to redeem his life, what he needs to stop thinking about is himself and start thinking about others. She said, so far in these interviews, all I've heard is he wants to be a triathlete. All he wants to do is clear his name. All just about him. What he needs to do is say, you know what, I've really, really blown it. But now I want to redeem my life and I'm going to spend the rest of my life giving myself to other people. She said, that would redeem his life. Now, she's not talking about redeeming like salvation. She's talking about making his life meaningful. And this morning, I'm not challenging you, you know, is it, so be redeemed like being saved if you need to. Please come today. But what I'm challenging is that some of us need to redeem our life spiritually to something significant and that's beyond the trivial. Because, guys, no matter if you live another year or another three decades or five decades, let me tell you, if you want to redeem your life, if you want it to be meaningful, then you've got to change your mindset about who you're living for and what you're doing. It's got to stop being about you. It's got to start being about other people. And you'll get your life back. Promised by Jesus. Peace, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Before you walk out these doors and be sent, do you first of all need to walk down this row and be prayed for? Who you pray for you today? Why don't you come while we stand together and sing?